Hey, what's up, everyone? Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, and I am one of the pastors here at Res City. Um, I'm just going to say what you're probably thinking right now. I'll just say it out loud. This is kind of weird. Uh, it's not normal for us. If it's your first time joining us this, uh, on a Sunday morning here at Res City, whether you're, well, if you're watching online, you, maybe you can't tell, but here in person, you know this is a video, and this is not normal for us. We are not normally a church that does video venue, um, but this is not a normal weekend for us as a church, and so we're adjusting. Um, this is not live. This is pre-recorded, uh, as you can tell right behind me. This is the stage, but I'm not here. <laughs> the reason that we're, we're doing this this morning, uh, we're doing it, having to do a pre-recorded uh, message, is because Julie and I are not here. Um, we are actually uh, in Florida. We are uh, adopting. Um, we are going through the adoption process down in Florida, and we had planned it out this fall uh, for us to have a, a plan where all the weeks we thought we would be gone for this were covered, um, and the timeline got moved up, and so we kind of had to adjust, and so that's what this is. Um, starting next week, we will actually be having a run of uh, several weeks in a row where you'll be having sermons from uh, some guest preachers, some people here, part of the community. I'm very excited about that. I'm hoping we can be here from, for some of those. Um, I'm excited for you to get to hear some of these preachers, uh, some really talented, just thoughtful, exciting people, both again in our community and actually some people, uh, or at least someone from outside the community. So uh, we've got it all planned out except for this first week. Um, things happen faster than we anticipated, and that is that can happen sometimes uh, when you're talking about babies being born. Um, and so this is uh, this is what we're we're doing in the, in uh, in the midst of it. Um, but uh, bear with us this Sunday morning. Um, hopefully everything else is, is, is going nice and smooth and normal for everybody. Um, we're just going to walk through uh, a, a passage here today and, and unpack it like normal. Let's try to make this feel as normal as possible, uh, aside from the obvious change. Um, we're in a series as a church here, walking through the parables of Jesus. We're calling it uh, Jesus' Stories, Parables of the Kingdom. Um, uh, understanding the kingdom, sorry. And uh, it's really about us walking through different parables, these stories that Jesus would tell um, to communicate a point, to uh, maybe challenge us in discipleship, to explain what his kingdom is like. And we are allowing these, uh, th- these, these things that are a lot of times operated in a prophetic way um, by Jesus to impact us just like uh, the people that Jesus uh, originally um, would, would, would tell them to. And so uh, we're going to do like we've been doing throughout this whole series, throughout the whole fall today, through a passage in Matthew, um, chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Um, I'll tell you what what the big idea here is in a second. And, um, you know, some weeks, a lot of weeks we have a kind of bit of an intro before we get into the passage. But actually, I think sometimes the best intro is to just read the passage. Um, And so that's what we're going to do. So let's hop into it. Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. 
He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last worker first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Now, Many of the parables, and maybe you've experienced this if you've been with us throughout this series this fall, many times we'll read a parable that's kind of ethical and design like this, um, and, and, it, and we read it and we feel like, a, ah, yeah, I know, I should, uh, I should probably do this. Maybe I don't, and I, I can see that I don't, or I should uh, believe this or act a certain way or kind of uh, whatever, and you you go, I know I should do this, and maybe this is kind of telling me, yeah, I ought to do it. We don't really have much of a challenge to it. It really fits kind of what we already think about the world. It doesn't actually conflict too much with our, you know, kind of already our ideas of what right and wrong are. And actually, that's just an example, I think, of how much the, the Christian uh, vision really for humans and flourishing has become such a part of the West that we live in, right? It's not something we really realize, but that value set is at the foundation of Western society. But this parable, I think, is a little bit different. Uh, It might rub us the wrong way a bit. It, it, It might hit us a little bit differently because it feels profoundly unfair, and it kind of goes against, I think, one of our cherished notions of what is right. And that is the, the, the value that we have, especially in America, of fairness. It's a very American thing to believe that no one is, is more important than anyone else. And fairness is sort of the principle that we have that makes sure that that belief that we have about the world is happening Uh, in our day-to-day lives, right? So think about it. We learn fairness at a young age, right? Imagine you're going to recess um, as a kid and you want to jump rope. And so you go out to the bin or wherever it is that they store the jump rope and you find it's gone, at least the good one, the one that you really want to use, it's gone already. And you look over and you see another kid has already gotten to use it and and she's over there jumping rope and uh, you're upset, you're mad, but you can't be mad because that was fair, right? She got to it before you did. And so maybe you're upset, but really the only thing you can do is try to make sure you get there before she does tomorrow, and then you can use it, and that would be fair. Kind of first come, first serve, right? That's fair. That's what we're told is right in a certain situation. And as we grow up, we, we, we expect the world to continue to run on fairness, right? Maybe you continue to go through school, you work really hard, 
you get good test scores and uh, that allows you to go to a good college. And then it gives you an opportunity to turn a degree from that into a really good career, right? It's fair because you've worked hard and you've gotten to uh, have that hard work pay off. You've gotten what you deserve in that way. Right now, many of you are thinking maybe, well, it doesn't always work out that way for people. A lot of times people do work really hard, but for some reason having to do with their background, maybe uh, the family they come from, the, the social, uh, socioeconomic class that they're part of, the, the color of their skin, they're not afforded that opportunity, and that's not fair. They don't get what they deserve, and we should do something about that, right? And actually that kind of proves the point, right? Because so baked into our notion of how the world should work is this sense of fairness, right? We think that's how it should work, and if it's not, we want to try to do something about it, right? That would be fair. When we're shown examples of the world being unfair, we call that injustice, and we try to fix it. It just goes to show the level to which this is so much a part of how we view the world, right? We want everything in the world to feel fair. Our elections, we want those to feel fair. There should be no cheating. And even if I don't like the candidate that won, I have to respect it because it was a fair process. Uh, we want our sports to be fair, right? Think about how drafts work. The, the team that uh, is the worst gets a shot to get the best player in the draft. They get the first overall pick, right? We feel like that's fair. That creates equality in our sports leagues. Um, this happened to us recently. We bought a box of lettuce um, from a grocery store and uh, found a dead bee inside of it, right? Well, what do you think is fair in that situation, right? It's probably that you should let the grocery store know they should give you a gift card to at least pay back what you put in to pay for that box of lettuce and maybe a little bit more for your trouble. That feels fair, Fairness is woven into our deepest senses of how we view the world at all kinds of levels. And so we read this parable and we feel like, what's up with this? It doesn't feel right. It rubs us the wrong way. And the reason I think that it challenges us is because God is operating according to a different principle. It's not necessarily him saying fairness is wrong. Um, I don't think that that's the point of the parable at all, but it's telling us that if we're going to be part of God's kingdom, we have to look somewhere else to understand how God works than just fairness, right? So the parable is about goodness, fairness, and the dynamics of God's kingdom, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so from here on out, we'll kind of follow a normal outline for a Res City message. I'm going to spend a little bit of time breaking down the passage, helping us maybe understand parts of it that uh, don't make as much sense, especially as people who uh, live in a different culture and time than the place that it was written. We're going to make some observations about it, and then we're going to talk about what it means for our life and how we can be people who respond to it in the way that I think Jesus was hoping his original hearers would respond to it as well. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, before we dive a little bit deeper into the heart of the message, let's pause here and let, uh, uh, let's make sure we understand the parable, all right? So workday uh, was a 12-hour thing. This is sunrise to sunset. I'm actually not sure in the actual translation, the New Living Translation that we use here, it talks about like five o'clock time of day, there's an hour left. That might not actually be the original Greek there. It might be trying to communicate uh, just kind of like in a way that makes sense to us. But it's a, the, the point I'm trying to make is this is a long 12-hour difficult work day. Sunrise to sunset and working in the sun was very blue collar, very hot, hard work working out in someone's vineyard. 
Now, what the workers are paid is a denarius. Now, denarius was a, usually considered an average daily wage. Um, it was subsistence pay. Um, you know, usual estimates are that an adult in ancient Israel needed a half a denarius a day to live and about 200 denarii per year. And that was actually the poverty line. Okay, so this is kind of just helping people to get by. Um, it would, you know, 200 denarii a year would hardly keep a small family afloat. And so the point of the parable is not really about how God lavishes on us um, or is very abundant in his giving. It's not that God isn't. Again, there are other parables that make that point. It's just the parable is not really trying to make that point. It's trying to make a different one. Um, and, 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 and we'll talk about that here in, in just a second. Now, it was pretty common for rich landowners to go and hire workers in the market um, and pay them a denarius, right? This is a very normal, everyday thing that Jesus is telling a story about. People sitting in the crowd, probably um, some of them were day workers, some of them might have been uh, landowners who went to the market to find people to help them out with tasks, right? And this still happens today in, in our own world. Um, you wouldn't go to a marketplace, really, to find someone. You wouldn't show up at a mall and find some you know, teenagers standing around on their phone and say, hey, you want to make, make some money? You could do that, I guess, but that's not, you know, how it works today typically for people kind of hanging out in the marketplace looking for work. Um, but there are websites you can go on. Um, now, maybe it's a little bit less realistic for the landowner to go to the marketplace kind of over and over again during the day. Um, but the point is not really literal realism. It, it's a story that's making a point, and it kind of needs to unfold that way for the deeper point to be made. Um, now, why did the last group get hired last? Um, this may or may not be significant, but I figured I'd throw it out there for you um, just to have there and maybe in the back of your mind as you think about it a little bit. Um, it might be that uh, Jesus is hinting for us to think about, well, why are these people still there that late in the day? And it would, the answer would potentially be, they're not the kind of people that anybody wanted to hire, right? These are not good workers. These are not the kind of people you'd expect the landowner uh, to go out and bring in to do some work and, you know, especially uh, to pay them a full day's wage when the work that they did was probably not even worth an hour or two of work that they actually did. It's possible that's what Jesus has in mind here. Now, I think it's fairly clear and important for us to recognize that in the parable, the landowner is God. Um, not all parables are that you know, one-to-one, but this one is. And I think it's actually pretty important that we understand that the landowner represents God. Now, if you've heard this parable before, there's a decent chance that you've heard it talked about as kind of a picture of what salvation looks like. And, um, you know, it will maybe says like some people are Christians their whole life. They grew up in a family of Christians. They um, became disciples of Jesus at a young age and they followed him throughout their whole life. And they get the same reward at the end as someone who on their deathbed uh, decides to follow Jesus. And um, it's trying to tell us this is what salvation looks like and don't be mad if that's how it plays out. Um, I think maybe it's true that you could expand the parable out to make that point. I definitely think that, you know, principle is there, but I don't think that's necessarily Jesus's, the reason he's telling this parable to us. I think there's something else going on. Um, I think really the, the, the heart of what Jesus is trying to get across to us is um, that he's talking to us about discipleship. He's talking to us about what it looks like to grow in our understanding and live in the kingdom of God now as disciples of Jesus and understand the way that God 
operates and how we can become people who respect how God operates here in the present as part of our discipleship now. This is a fundamental quality of who God is. Um, and as you read the context of, of the, you know, what Jesus is talking about a little before and after this parable, I think that kind of draws that out for us a little bit as well as just how the parable actually ends, which we'll kind of go back to here in just a second. It seems like Jesus is trying to convince his disciples uh, that being part of the kingdom doesn't level up your status in some way. Uh, Jesus wants them to understand that everything in the kingdom revolves not on the notions of fairness that we might bring into it um, and on worldly status dynamics, like you know, recognizing people for, you know, something that they bring with them, experience, richness, their accomplishments, right? Instead, Jesus seems to be making uh, this to be our central vision for how God works in his kingdom. And he's making this point. No one earns more in God's kingdom because it's all founded simply on God's gracious goodness. Think about how the parable ends. Let me read you those verses again. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous by my kindness? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. God's grace and his goodness is not the kind of thing that anyone deserves, which means that it's not the kind of thing that you can bargain with or store up in the present, right? It, you know, we, we come into the kingdom by God's grace and we continue to live in the kingdom according to God's grace and goodness too. There is not some switch that gets flipped where all of a sudden we start to deserve what's happening to us once we come into God's kingdom. It's not something we can have a lot of while someone else has a little of it over there. It's simply something that God gives, and we don't have any ability to control who God gives it to or how he gives it or how much someone seems to be receiving. And if we think it's the kind of thing that we get to exercise some control over by saying someone deserves some uh, or, or not some, right? We're missing the point altogether. The point is that fairness or even equality in the way that we think of it is not the driving factor in God's kingdom. Okay, fairness is great, but God's goodness is at the center of everything that he does. It's not that God doesn't care about fairness. Okay? I don't want you to hear me saying that you know, somehow the, the, the God's kingdom is, is, doesn't care about fairness, right? I'm, I'm not making that point. But he wants the way that we ground fairness, especially in his church, to not just not be something that we meticulously make sure everyone has the same amount of or that we're doling it out based on how we think people deserve different things. But we're simply founding everything on God's goodness, And we shouldn't be surprised that goodness is the dynamic of the landowner because we find over and over in Scripture that God is described as good. Here's an example, right? And, and I literally just Googled, of, you know, God's goodness. God is good. And this is the first verse that popped up. There were so many other ones that I could have used to describe this. Psalm, Psalm 145.9, The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. Psalm 145.9, that's out of the, the New American Standard Version. God is good. This is one of the most repeated phrases in Scripture. 
Now, what is goodness? I think it's helpful to have a good understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about God's goodness. Well, first and foremost, when we're talking about what goodness is in the Bible, we're talking about just God. God is good. When we say that, we mean good is God. And so all that God does is good. When God will make something in the creation story, if we go back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, we would, he would make something, and what was it? What was that phrase? Maybe you know it off the top of your head. The writer tells us that it was good. God created it, and it was good. And the reason it's good is simply because he made it. Now, what it looks like when God is involved and his goodness touches the world, when it uh, comes together with his world, is that we find beauty, we find excellence, we find uh, what is pleasurable, right? It's something done simply for the benefit of the world. It's lacking any self-serving motive or an ulterior secret one. It's merciful, it's pleasurable, it's pleasing to the eye, to the heart and the soul. It's a day that leaves you with a smile on your face as you fall asleep at night. It's the way you feel after a massage, the perfect massage. You just feel good. It's a a well-oiled machine working as it's supposed to. When everything is in its proper place and doing its proper task, we say, this is good, Scott McKnight tells us. Goodness is a breathtaking landscape. It's a bite of the most delicious food you've ever had the feeling you've had after seeing maybe the best TV show you've ever watched, whatever it is, some taking in some piece of beauty and goodness. You recognize it when you see it. You know what it is when you see it, right? That's goodness, and it comes from God. Ultimately, it all comes from God. Now, in the parable, the good landowner is simply offering to be good. That's all he wants to do. He wants to give the poor a chance to make some money for the day, even if it doesn't fall into some fairness equation that other people might think he has to follow. He's just looking to bless some people, no matter how much work they can get in. Why would we think that's a bad thing? You wouldn't think anyone would have any issue with it, but that's exactly what happens in the parable. The, work, the workers, the other workers, struggle to live with this goodness, Right? And instead, we find out they're actually envious, right? We're, we're told that they have the evil eye in verse 15. This is an ancient phrase. Um, we find it in other places in the Bible, actually in Proverbs. Um, in, in chapter 28, verses 22, it talks about the evil eye in the context of greed. And actually, interestingly, you can contrast that with uh, Proverbs 22, verse 9, which says, one with a good eye, kind of the opposite of, a, of an evil eye, gives bread to the poor. Uh, it means envy, jealousy, lack of generosity. Okay, that's what Jesus is referring to here. And it's how we can be when we see goodness happen to somebody that for some reason we don't think deserves it, or maybe we think we deserve it more. We find ourselves giving them this evil eye. Uh, Klein Snodgrass says, he's a, he's a, a New Testament scholar, written a lot about the parables. About this parable, he says, why is goodness so often the occasion for anger? Why do we find it so difficult to rejoice over the good that enters other people's lives? And why do we spend our time calculating how we have been cheated? Why do we do that? Why can't we just enjoy goodness no matter who receives it? 
why can't we see something good and just delight in it, no matter who is receiving it? The thing is, is we like to think we're good, and a lot of times we base that on fairness, right? But even if we're using fairness as our judge for, for being good, we're not as good as we think we are, right? As much as we love fairness, a lot of times we're usually just concerned with goodness being something uh, that we make sure we have enough of. We want to make sure we possess it, and we only wish it for, on it for others usually when we feel like we've already got enough of it. As soon as we feel like we don't have enough of it for some reason, we start to feel upset that other people are experiencing it, and really we're not actually adhering to these uh, f- these fairness equations nearly as closely as we think we are, okay? Let me give you a small, very dumb example, but I think one that is kind of helps illustrate this point, right? Uh, that the, the point being that a lot of times when we're disadvantaged, we, 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 we cry for justice. But when something good happens to someone else uh, or something good happens to us that might actually be we could call it unjust or unfair in some way. We just think of it as good luck, okay? So here's a dumb example. Imagine you order some, you're getting a burger and some, you want to get a burger and some sides from a, your favorite burger place and you get it delivered to you uh, through DoorDash and they show up and they give you the wrong order. They give you someone else's order, okay? And they ordered less food than you did and maybe it's food you don't like as much, right? You ordered uh, two burgers and, and two sides of tots and you just get one burger and a side of fruit and you're, you're pretty annoyed, right? Because you paid for two burgers and you paid for two sides of tots and you didn't want fruit, right? So what do you do? What do you think is right in that situation? Well, you're probably going to go give some negative review to the restaurant or DoorDash. I don't know who you think, whoever you think, maybe both, right? You think both people are at fault for this and you're going to bring the full arm of the online law down on them. You're going to call customer service. You're going to demand a gift card. You're going to make it right, okay? You're just in that mood tonight, let's say, right? You're upset. You uh, are burning about the unfairness of it all. All right, but let's imagine the opposite scenario, okay? Let's imagine you do the same, you do the same thing and you order uh, from the same restaurant, same food order, but then you get someone else's order, who ordered a lot more food than what you were trying to get, right? They, uh, you, you ordered two burgers and tots, but they sent you three burgers, two, you know, uh, three sides of tots, and you get a dessert with it. Um, you're, you're getting way more food than what you paid for. Well, what are you going to do right now? Are you going to still send the same angry review back? Uh, are you still going to try to make sure that fairness and justice take place? Probably not, right? You're just going to think, oh, this is good luck, right? When in reality, it's the same level of unfairness that took place in the first situation. Someone else probably got your order and they're feeling now, well, this is really unfair that I didn't get uh, what I ordered, right? The fact that you don't go and make it right shows, I think, that you're not as concerned probably for fairness as you like to make it uh, out to be a lot of times. And in reality, you just want goodness done to you, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, of wanting goodness to be done with uh, to us. It just shows us how inconsistent we can be a lot of times when we make uh, sort of fairness our operating principle for everything. And the worst part about it, I think, is that when something good happens to someone else and we get upset about it, we feel like it's unfair in some way because they don't deserve it, we are not respecting what God has done. We're not respecting something that God has done. 
So what if God wants to do good and you don't get the amount of it that you thought you should have? Shouldn't we celebrate and respect what God has done and maybe even take part in it ourselves in some way to celebrate it? I actually, when I was writing uh, this sermon, I actually had something very challenging. It was a small thing, but it, was, it challenged me quite a bit to be working on the sermon and then experience the same sort of evil eye coming from myself. I, was, I checked Instagram. I don't really check Instagram very much, but this afternoon right after I finished, or for the day finished working on the sermon, I checked Instagram, and I uh, saw something, someone, something good seemed to be happening to them. You know, I don't need to get into specifics of it at all. And I felt, I realized I didn't want to see that because I was rooting for them to fail in some way, right? Uh, and I, I, I notice I can be like this sometimes when it comes uh, to, to ministry things even, right? Where, you know, I feel like I'm a worker and I've been working in the morning all day long. I've been doing hard work in ministry and I find myself offended when I see people, maybe it's people I'm trying to do ministry for, or it's someone else who does ministry, someone I know, and I, and, and, and I, and I see them not working in the way that I am, or not working in, in the way I think they should be, right? Um, maybe they, you know, left something the wrong way. They did something in a way I think was wrong, um, or they got to someplace that I wanted to get to, someplace I honestly, I coveted, and I felt like they did it in the wrong way, unchristlike or not true to the gospel in some way, whatever. And who cares if I'm right or not? That's not really the point of this. I find myself secretly rooting for them to fail. And when I see them flourishing in some way, receiving good, I'm upset by it. And be honest, right? You are the same way. You, maybe not all the time. I'm not saying this is who you are every single time you see something good happen to somebody else, but you find yourself feeling the same way sometimes when you see someone else experiencing good. We don't get to judge that it's unfair of God to be good to someone because it was never our grace or goodness to give. And that's what we have to realize. That's what this parable is challenging us to. It was never my job to decide how God uses his goodness. Instead, what the parable actually calls us to is to think alongside God, to be out in the marketplace looking to give his goodness out with him. Because really in the parable, while we're thinking about ourselves, God is out in the marketplace looking to give his goodness. Think about that. When we're so focused on fairness and getting what we think we deserve, we're not caring about the people in the marketplace, the ones who might be longing for God to do good to them too. And the only time we notice them is if they get something that we feel we should have, whether we deserve it or not. And then they become objects of our scorn. And in no way are we being like the God who wants to give his goodness out to people indiscriminately, no matter if they deserve it or not, he is on the lookout in the marketplace looking to give his goodness to people. And we become very much unlike him when we're so focused on ourselves, so focused on uh, trying to get what we deserve or thinking we deserve more, that we become people who are very much unlike him. God's goodness demands that we see people in a different way. And we desire to bring his goodness to those who don't have it. There are so many people out there who are looking for goodness. 
Some of them are in our church. Some of them are in our neighborhood, in our city. Some of them we might interact with online. They might be friends or family that we don't live nearby, but we come into contact with them enough and we can sense that they're also looking for goodness too. We're called to go find them, to follow God into the marketplace and invite them to experience his goodness. And so I want to say three things to close. Um, First of all, let's be people who just love it when God is good. Let's be people who resolve to celebrate. When we see God's goodness happening to someone else, even if we, uh, our, our inclination is to give them the evil eye in some way, let's resist that and instead follow the path of love and goodness that we see from the God who goes out into the marketplace, right? And that's the second thing I want to say. Let's resolve to be people who are not, thinking only of ourselves and what we deserve and trying to make sure we get that and just sulking when we don't. But let's resolve to forget that and to go into the marketplace with God and seek to do good, okay? God will do good to us, right? I am not saying that we should uh, expect to never have goodness done to us. God will do good to us and he will usually give you just as much as you need, right? And we need to learn to be content with that and follow him out into the marketplace and do good as well. Okay, that's what this parable is calling us to, to learn, right? And the third and last thing I want to say here to close is maybe you're sitting here and you need to experience God's goodness. Maybe you're wondering, is God like the people, like the other workers in this parable who is so concerned with giving people what they deserve? Well, maybe you look at yourself and you think, man, I'm not the kind of person that deserves God good, God's goodness. Maybe I, I'm limited in some way. I'm flawed, Right? I'm not good enough to do the things that I am setting out to do. And God knows that too. And so he won't give me his goodness. Uh, maybe you feel like you don't deserve it because of something you've done. You're trapped in some guilt or shame, some giving yourself some identity of punishment. And you think, I'm not the kind of person that deserves God's goodness. And so why would I go look for it? Why would I expect God to give this to me? The reason that we tell ourselves those things is because we do think God is someone who operates like so many else in this society that's centered around fairness that we live in. When we think we don't deserve something, we think that God must not want to give us his goodness either. But God does not work that way. And that's the point of this parable. God is looking to give his goodness away. And maybe you're sitting here right now needing to hear that needing to believe that God's goodness is for you too. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care about your limitations, your flaws, your past, your guilt, your shame. He is someone who wants to do good to you. And he wants to invite you to be someone whose goodness changes them so that you join him in the marketplace looking to give that goodness to other people as well. So I'm going to transition you <laughs> from the past in this recorded video uh, message uh, to a, a, a new part of the service. Um, uh, the, the worship team should be coming up here now and, uh, and about being about to lead you in a time of worship. It's a chance for you to respond to God, to maybe feel touched by his goodness over this time of worship and to uh, go to the communion table. Please come and take communion here. It'll be right up in the front uh, of, the, uh, 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 of the sanctuary. And what communion is, is it's a chance for us to remember that Jesus, someone who didn't deserve death, didn't deserve crucifixion, didn't deserve to take the weight of our failure and sin upon himself, 
still took it on himself. It wasn't fair for him to be the place where God puts all of that sin and evil onto, right? But he does it because his operating procedure is on goodness. And out of his goodness, we are people who are set free, who are given new opportunities to uh, walk in new paths than holding the evil eye towards others um, simply through his grace and goodness, which we experience on the cross and which we remember every Sunday when we partake in communion. So come up, take communion, be reminded of that, um, and spend some time in worship, letting God speak his goodness to you. We pray for us. Lord, we thank you that goodness is how you move forward, God. I know that sometimes we can um, have trouble believing that, God. And we go through hard things. Um, it can, we can start to think that you are a God who legislate, legislates things out based off of what we deserve. Or maybe he, you are unfair in some way, God. And Lord, you are unfair, but you're in, unfair in the way that you give your goodness and grace to people who don't deserve it, God. I pray that you would help us to have eyes that see you um, in that way, and we wouldn't despise it when we see you operate out of that goodness towards people, Lord. I pray that you would give us uh, a desire to join you in the marketplace, whatever that might look like for us, God. And there's all sorts of different ways that we can join you in the marketplace and um, spreading your goodness. It could be sharing uh, your good news. It could be in serving other people or just being your hands and feet. Whatever it is, God, give us uh, a sense for how we can follow you out into the marketplace, God, and help us to do it well so that we are people who uh, image and reflect um, you, the one who is good. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.